Hello, No Code Nation. I'm your host, Ayush, and welcome to my No Code Story, a podcast that will inspire and educate you with stories from real people in the world of no code. Today's story is about how 100 days of no code can take you from a beginner to having the comfort level to build the product of your dreams. I've been excited to share this one for a while. We talk about how social impact should be at the forefront of most founder strategies, the impact of imposter syndrome on your no-code journey, and how the best of us find doing 100 days of anything super, super hard. My guest today is Max Haining. Max is founder of 100 Days of No Code, that's at 100daysofnocode.com, and while you're there, check out the beginner course that he's just recently launched. He's also co-founder at Hive.cx and a very perceptive student of the world of no-code. He starts by talking about a failed startup that he co-founded and goes into the lessons he learned in great detail. Max shares his knowledge on the beginner no-code journey and if you're just starting out, this podcast will help you avoid the pitfalls that most beginners face. Check it out. I think when people hear 100 days of no code, people are just like, hell no, like this is not happening. I do not have 100 spare days, but that's not really the point. Doing 30 days, doing 40 days, that's better than doing no days. There's a stat going around that only 0.3% of the world's population know how to code. So that's equivalent to one in 400 people building the tech that we're using every day. They are pretty unrepresentative in background, etc., because they are largely the ones that can afford to learn how to code. So I am using 100 Days of No Code as a vehicle to increase the diversity of builders that are out there. I took a long time to get rid of this idea that I was non-technical. Although these tools are somewhat easy to leverage, they're not super easy to the point where anyone can do it. You still have to learn it, right? right. <laughs> One thing that I really regretted on my 100 days was going straight into like a big, bad, powerful tool. The, le the lesson in that is don't try and go for a big, difficult tool first. Make sure you actually start by using more beginner friendly tools let's get into it here's my conversation with max hi i'm max and this is my no code story max i've been looking forward to this conversation for such a long time 100 days of no code is kind of established in the no code space i think as a rite of passage for a lot of newcomers in the space I'm really so glad to have you on the show. Thanks for being on. No, awesome. Yeah, thanks so much for, for having me. Really looking forward to this and uh, can't wait to chat. So tell me how 100 Days of No Code came about and was there a time before you created 100 Days of No Code where you were thinking along these lines already? Yeah, so I'll try to, to keep this reasonably short, but essentially at university, I worked at an Airbnb for storage startup. So there was three of us on the team and I was kind of trying to just get my hands into sort of the startup scene. My skills were limited, but I was just really enthusiastic and happy to like do anything really and, and just be like an ultimate generalist. But we, we, we worked on that for a couple of years and we, we, we failed. And one of the big reasons for that was uh, lack of any technical skill set in the team. So that was really the first moment that, that planted a seed to me in, in my mind that I need to fill this technical gap in my skill set. 
So that was kind of where that, that seed came from in terms of me wanting to build like a skill that would allow me to bring my ideas to life. And at that point, learning to code was the only option for doing that. And then I fortunately stumbled across uh, an article by Ryan Hoover, the founder of Product Hunt, on the rise of no code. And this really, you know, piqued my interest and sort of spoke to me because it just opened my world up to, you know, these shiny tools and this space that allowed non-technical folk like me to create things. And that was the first I'd heard of that that kind of thing and then got really excited by that but didn't do anything about it um, for a little while until itch to build and create things sort of came about again and now we're in February 2020 so of last year and we're all looking at most of the world we're all looking at a big lockdown and that to me was my like signal to actually get my head down and learn a new skill and start this 100 days of no code and yeah that was kind of where it really began as a way for me to learn how to to no code and fortunately a few other people joined me along the way i think you could say that again in terms of a few other people joining you this is such a common thread for people trying to pick up a new skill set in 2020 some of us picked up guitars, others picked up programming languages, others picked up no-code tools. Tell me about this startup experience that you had. How long were you part of this uh, startup? Sure. Um, so we, we were working on it for, for two years. And essentially, all we wanted to do was create a, a marketplace to connect people with spare space to those that needed it in a sort of a cheap, easy convenient way just as you would or, or accommodation base if you're moving to a new city or want like an uh, accommodation for a couple of weeks so it's very much like an airbnb for storage the idea was great i think and there's actually been multiple startups that have been created since but our problem was we we had to outsource the development of this marketplace platform um and that really like restrained us in terms of how fast we could move and there was a lag between the feedback that we were getting from our users and the time it took for us to actually make the improvements that our users wanted. So it was just taking so long for us to do that because we were going back and forth to our development team or our outsourced development team. And that just wasn't sustainable. And by the end, our users got fed up. They didn't persist with us because we were taking so long. It's kind of our main downfall. So not having a technical skill set and being reliant on an outsourced development team. That's interesting. So your offering was more focused on a software-based solution uh, to the storage problem. Because in, in the Airbnb for storage space, there's so many startups uh, that are focused on cities. I know of a few that are focused around New York City, for example, mm. where they literally haul away uh, your stuff in boxes and then they label them and make sure that uh, they account for the contents and you have a way to electronically look up the contents and then they'll mm. bring you back your boxes when when it's time and so on. So there's I think there are a lot of startups that are coming at it from different angles. Mm. But how many how many users did you guys grow to? Um, so we were we were super small. It was so we were based in uh, Newcastle, uh, so the northeast of England, and that we, we were trying to be hyper local, mainly because of our resource, but also leaning into one area and then moving to another once we'd uh, built up that you know reliability and logistics of one place, and then moving it and transferring it to another. But yeah, we were we got to like 200, 200 users, so we were super small. Yeah, and didn't really have the capacity to 
to the point where we we could grow or scale uh, we just didn't get to that point outside of the uh, technical skills piece what was your biggest learning that you took away from that experience i think definitely having a founding team that had versatile and complementary skill sets is a, a big one and beyond beyond that i would say i mean this again is like something that you you can only do if you're fortunate enough to have the time and resource but if you can summon up the time or the the, the runway to, to be able to go on it full time that would have helped immeasurably for us because we were all doing it part-time right so that probably like signals oh, you should go and get funding but we again weren't able to do that so i would say that was another like partial reason why we couldn't penetrate that market but also i think it was a cultural thing just around the storage market and the fact that it's quite archaic and existing players weren't keen to try different things out and so i think i think another thing would, would have been to have like uh, a board of uh, experts or like existing players in the storage space who would have advised us or given us a better route in because we were just free you know young people from university and there was no reason for you know existing storage providers to like listen to us like who the hell are we so some experienced uh, existing like players in the market to have on our team or board would have been would have been really good yeah and talking about going into this full time i think it's a struggle that a lot of founders uh, discover straight away because you're you're constantly as a founder juggling different aspects of your business but also if you're only doing it part time then the mind share piece becomes really hard it's really hard to put the level of focus that you need to on your startup but talking about digging into something full time tell me about 100 days of no code are people digging into it uh, full time or what's the level of effort that's that you see because i know there's a wide range but what are people doing in general i think when people hear 100 days of no code the the name is kind of a blessing and a curse because it sounds really daunting to the point where people are just like hell no like th- this is not happening like i do not have 100 spare days but that's not really the point like firstly because doing 30 days doing 40 days like that's better than doing no days so the 100 days is just like a, a a target almost that would be amazing for you to reach but if you don't reach it hey ho you've you've already done 30 or 40 more days than you would have done otherwise there's that but then in terms of like the actual amount of time people are putting in all we're trying to do is give you a system a super si- simple system there's 30 minutes at least of no code learning a day over 100 days and we think that's like accessible to anyone to do whether they're working full time or have got spare time on their hands so that's like the minimum commitment but generally people go beyond the 30 minutes and i think that description sums it up perfectly cuz i've had multiple people on the podcast that have done 100 days or that have embarked on this journey and the main takeaway for them was that you don't have to invest a ton of time it's like 30 minutes a day and you just move the needle every single day as you're looking at this you've talked about having over 100 different no code projects built and launched what are some of the ones that come to mind as a result of 100 days of no code it's generally just like the compounding effect of doing everyday learning the projects that you generally see people do incrementally increase in complexity and like wow factor if you like so generally people start with like a landing page and a simple sign up form for their websites uh, to start a newsletter or something 
then they move to something like a, a directory where you can list like a, a filterable of information on a particular topic. So I could like create a list or a directory on the best books in entrepreneurship, for instance. So that's a, so that's like where people maybe go to is their their second project on their on their sort of journey, and then then it starts to move into uh, a variety of more like complex paths but but more substantial ideas so so that could be a marketplace building it on something like bubble or share tribe or an easier solution in something like softer or people are creating bespoke custom micro SaaS businesses and that starts to get really exciting then so i've seen Ventsy, who i think has been on your your podcast before yeah yeah so she so she's created some some pretty cool stuff so she recently created a software in a bubble for uh, dog owners to help manage their dog's diabetes so they're giving and prescribing the right things at the right time for their dog so they can manage that that illness which is a super niche use case but an amazing example of what no code can do and that that's one that springs to mind yeah as, as a, an interesting use case so Vensi was the number one guest on our show and she has such a great backstory but I think what, what you're talking about with respect to 100 Days of No Code is really the combination of this journey allowing people to scratch their itch and at the same time add value to a community that they know of and do it while they're learning something new. So it's kind of a combination of all of those things. Now the tool set is one part of it, but talk to me more about the community that you're building around this. How many people do you get to interact with on a daily basis uh, that are going through this journey? And are there some common threads in terms of the things we tell ourselves as we're going on about learning new tools and technologies? The two things, so the system for learning 100 days and the community are really complementary. So I don't really see them as being apart, but really complementary to each other because ultimately, yeah, 100 days is a hard thing to do. So having community and that connection amongst people is is big. But in terms of what people tell themselves when they come into the space and their thought processes and how they perceive themselves in relation to being technical is really interesting. So for me, I took a long time to get rid of this idea that I was non-technical because I think that was a really limiting belief coming into the space. Although these tools are somewhat easy to leverage, they're not like super easy to the point where anyone can do it. You still have to learn it, right? right. <laughs> and that's a common thing that I've found like in the marketing of these tools, like you can build things in five minutes and 10 minutes, which you can in some, but like most of them you can't, which is absolutely fine, but it still takes a while if you're new to the space to adjust to the fact that it isn't as easy as they say it is. So I think it's completely normal for people to come in who are non-techie to get a bit stuck and feel like an imposter initially, but having projects to work on and working in easier tools will is the, the best way to kind of incrementally build your confidence up and suddenly you you go from this complete non-techie to realizing that you are technical and you can build your own ideas uh, and you have a community of other people doing the same thing as you so so i think that is the transformation that i often see it often takes a little while for people to get out of that that mode of thinking just as i did that's such a thoughtful point. I mean, we all suffer from imposter syndrome at some level. 
It could be about being a non-tech person. It could be about being able to go on this 100-day journey and not having the bandwidth to do it. And in some ways, what you're saying is the journey helps you overcome some of those beliefs. And the five-minute thing, I, I completely agree there because marketing is different from reality. <laughs> and it also depends yeah. on what you're trying to build. Some of these tools have come such a long way in the past year that it's now possible to build fairly complex applications and solve for some complex use cases as a result of just using no-code tech. Tell me, what's your favorite piece of technology that you've used up until now? To be honest, I think I probably give, I don't know, a reasonably unconventional answer to this, and that's a softer. I know lots of people love it, but I think that it probably epitomizes it like the best example of no code because it really does actually have like a zero to low learning curve and so it is accessible to pretty much anyone which i can't say for all the tools so i think the low learning curve combined with the speed at which you can move and build things in that that are reasonably powerful still is super exciting for me because I know that um, not just like those that come into the space with a bit of a techie background can use it, but actually my mum could use it or my nan. Maybe my nan couldn't, that could be pushing it, but like most people could. So I think that's really exciting to me about that tool because it really strikes or goes back to the reason why we're all excited by this space and that is democratizing software development. And that can only be done if these tools are intuitive and reasonably easy to use. So for me, that is the tool that, that excites me the most and gives me the most encouragement for the expansion of this movement in the future. So let's let's talk a little bit about uh, 100 days of X, because uh, this feels like a theme. And if someone walks up to you, I, I would assume their first question is, uh, are you doing 100 days of everything? Like, <laughs> do you do 100 days of workouts and then 100 days of just <laughs> chugging, chugging beer and then 100 days of something else? So what are what are a few other projects that you've taken on that mimic this theme? Or is this something is this kind of the unicorn? That's a good question. So one of the things I didn't mention with the story of 100 days of no code was that when when I was looking at the space and realizing that learning to code, this was probably 2018 time, learning to code was the only option for me. This was just because my ignorance of this whole new other world that I, I didn't know existed. But at that time, when I was realizing, damn, I'm going to have to learn to code, I came across 100 days of code. So having that knowledge that this is something that's worked in the coding world was something that always sort of stuck in my mind and was definitely a big influence on me deciding to do 100 days of no code. But in terms of me actually doing any of this 100 day stuff, this was my first one. I'd never done it. But I think what gave me the, the push or the shove to actually just go for it was as I said before, one, we all had a lot of time on, on our hands uh, during lockdown, but also two, I'd come off reading uh, the book Atomic Habits, which feels like one that a lot of people in this space have read. And that certainly yeah. got habits and micrograins swirling through my head at that point. Yeah, uh, I think as you look at the concept itself, uh, it's something that you mm. can apply to such a wide variety of not only use cases, but also even hobbies and so on, and just get get better at it. I love the the concept, and it's so beginner friendly. The once people grasp the fact that you, all you need to do is uh, just take like a half hour every day, 
and build it into your routine, it, it kind of opens things up to them a little bit more. What are some beginner mistakes that you've seen people make as they pick up different tools? Would you advise people go down a certain path first versus versus something else? Like you talked about newsletter and then, you know, maybe some kind of a small application, but is there a, a right way to, to start your journey? Yeah, it's a really good question. I don't think there is one right way, but there is certain patterns that I found in successful folk and, and, and not so successful beginners. I was one of those not so successful beginners when I did my first 100 days because I didn't really have any of the advice or wisdom given to me by anyone because it was such a new space that not many people had really even you know, leveraged these tools that much at that time so one thing that I really regretted on my 100 days was going straight into like a big bad powerful tool and I mean bad in the sense of it was like hard it was it was a real struggle and it felt like I was trying to program and that tool was bubble which of course is a sort of a love hate thing in the space but the, le the lesson in that is don't try and go for a big difficult tool first try and aspire to that eventually but make sure you actually start by using more beginner friendly tools first and build your confidence in those and build some projects in those to just get a feeling for what you can do in no code get that instant hit but also an underestimated thing is when you're using these other tools you're gaining transferable knowledge that will be applicable to those harder tools eventually so for instance in glide or darlo or, or software for instance you're still doing some things like designing a database configuring some very basic workflows connecting your tool or your app to APIs, all at a really low level, but those things, those base level principles still apply elsewhere. So don't feel like, ah, oh, if I'm using these smaller tools, I'm wasting my time, because you're not. You're actually building the skill set that's gonna make you a way better builder in those, those, those harder to learn ones eventually. This is a concept that others have brought up as well on this podcast. So Vensi, for example, talked about the first 20 odd days being the toughest and then once she got over the first I forget it was like 23 24 days it was almost like you know this was natural to her and and she started with bubble and she recommended yes. that people not do that similar to what you're saying but I guess the real takeaway here is when someone thinks 100 days of no code and you have this 100 day journey in front of you they often start with this idea that they've had for years that they wanted to build and they're like, I'm gonna to try to build this. And then you start thinking about, okay, what tool set will give me all of the feature functionality that I need, et cetera, which is kind of the backwards way of thinking about it. Uh, what you want to do based on what you're saying is uh, start with small nuggets of, doesn't matter what tool, just get embedded in the space and maybe spend some time just immersing yourself, learning different concepts and constructs. And then you could apply it to slowly build and scale individual features. And it's going to be an iterative journey. It's not something that you just spend a bunch of time and, and get through right away. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. Absolutely. I think it's a, that's a really good way of putting it, an iterative thing, because I, I often tell people to 
especially when they're into the space starry-eyed and they've got all this amazing energy which is awesome but they come in you know thinking that they're going to create or build their end game project as the first project that they're creating uh, and the end game project is often super custom bespoke got all these bells and whistles and i say to them look this is great but try and break this down into its most minimal form so it's it it can function in a limited but useful way for people and then as you say build up those features whether that's in the same tool or a different tool but uh, don't go all in at once because um, otherwise you'll just hit a wall i can actually see a lot of other benefits of doing 100 days of specifically no code i mean number one it gives you the chance to try different projects and it also works really well with building in public which is you know the thing on on twitter anyway these days and, and it gives you a lot of content right as you're creating stuff on twitter you get to share your journey and and you're literally doing this every single day and it helps build that accountability muscle as well so i think there's more to this than just learning a, a specific subset of technology or, or tools are there any community benefits that you've perceived other participants of the program gain as a result of this? Yeah, no, it's, it's such a good point. Of course, yeah, like the, the main underpinning factor of doing 100 days of no code is to learn to no code. But actually, as you say, it's got some less stated benefits. So as you say, building in public, learning in public every day. And maybe maybe it's like a, a vanity sort of metric thing, but generally people that do 100 days of no code are able to build their followings and their audience as they go through that journey. So that's just like a, a benefit in itself. And then of course, there's the compounding effects that, that probably other means of learning to no code don't have because you're, you've got that momentum and that's just each day is just adding to the next. But in terms of the community benefits, I think one of the biggest ones is inspiration. Generally, some people don't actually have ideas coming to this space. And if they don't have ideas, then they don't have projects to work on. So then they don't have a focus to their learning. So that's really hard. But if you're surrounded by a community of other folks building cool things with no code, you're you're probably going to get inspired by some interesting projects to work on yourself yeah. or collab, collab with them. Um, so uh, I think that's a big benefit of community is getting inspiration for cool ideas to work on and collaborate with others on. I couldn't agree more. There's also a social capital or, or social impact aspect to what you're doing. Tell me a little bit more about the genesis for that. What are some projects that you're working on in that space and and why? Sure. Um, so, so social impact um, is definitely a big thing for me and is certainly like something that's, that excites me a lot about this space. And the fact that it's so undertapped at the moment means there's a lot of opportunity there. So before or, or whilst launching 100 days of no code i was on a social impact entrepreneurship program so at the time i didn't actually see 100 days as being this social impact vehicle but now you know my vision or mission has evolved since doing it and that's certainly something that's that i'm really keen to push to break that down a bit what i mean by that is creating more citizen developers and or creating a more diverse set of builders because because i think there's there's a stat going around that 
only 0.3% of the world's population know how to code. So that's apparently equivalent to one in 400 people building the tech that's basically we're using every day. So, and, and, and the 0.3% or the one in 400, like they are pretty unrepresentative to in background, etc., because they are largely the ones that can afford to learn how to code. So I am using 100 Days of No Code as a vehicle to increase the amount of citizen developers and, and hopefully level that playing field as to the builders and the diversity of builders that are out there. But to actually break that down a little bit more specifically and what that means with 100 Days of No Code is we've got a Tech for Good program running, which connects um, people in the community wanting to learn to know code with social impact organizations who who need help digitizing their services or creating a one-off thing. And we facilitate that or broker that interaction um, so that on one side, the learner is getting a chance to apply their skills. And on the other side, that social impact organization is getting a digital product that they would never have had beforehand. So that's how it's kind of manifesting at the moment. But we want to scale it up and and do some other cool things as well around that. That's so cool. Let me read the mission statement that you just came up with for everyone that's listening. So in your words, you're on a mission to unleash the first generation of citizen developers who are united in their passion for learning and making change not just in their own lives, but those around them. So this construct really converts people that are participating in the program to not only think about themselves and their journey, but also to think about you know how they're contributing in, in some other way. And what you described there at the end is actually, I, I think, one of the right ways of going about this, where there's value add on all sides of the equation, right? And, and people are taking things out of this across the board. In the various... Um, journeys that I had trying to learn to code. One of the solutions that uh, I, I was using there for a while was Free Code Camp. I don't mm. know if you've come across it, but yes. I used to for a long time have it as my startup page on Chrome. So every time I would open up, it would come up. And this was this was like a tool that you could use to learn how to code, but one half uh, was, uh, you know, the, the coding editor and uh, the text editor. The other half was, uh, you know, you could actually see what you were building. And one of their programs was very similar to this, where you could go through a course for, say, front-end tech, something like HTML um, and, and JavaScript. And then you could use what you had learned and coming out of it, build something for a nonprofit organization and get some kind of recognition as a result of that. So I think the recognition piece was was something really endearing that people would love to show off um, in a good way, right, on their LinkedIn, their Twitter mm-hmm. profiles, etc. Is that something you're thinking about as you're building this program out, is providing people some kind of recognition? First of all, I feel like doing 100 days of anything requires some recognition. I mean, you got to give people props for that. But beyond that, are you thinking about the social impact piece and putting some construct around recognition and around building a community specifically for social impact entrepreneurs and no coders. No, yeah, th- that's uh, such a good point. And yeah, Free Code Camp, big shout out to them. They're, they're a huge like inspiration for me, and they were certainly one of the resources that I dipped into like very briefly when I was flirting with the idea of learning to code. They, they have a really good, in- interesting model. But in terms of yeah, incentivizing that social impact and, and recognizing it when people do engage in it. 
definitely something that I haven't cracked yet, but you want to reward people that show that behavior because they're leading the way for others to do the same. For the 100 days, I just a, an example, like I, I send some swag to people when they finish. I you know record a video just to congratulate them personally um, and do big, big shout outs on Twitter, whatnot, you, you may have seen. But then in terms of the, the social impact one, it's something that I haven't really done yet. So I'm really glad that you've brought that point up because you know, I should be really like shining a light on these people and spotlighting the, the amazing work they're doing. So definitely that is something I'm going to be thinking about more after this conversation. <laughs> That's great. And th there are so many other no coders that are still starting their journey. I think you called out Yelmer, Yelmer Pei, who's recently started his 100 days of no code journey. He was on the on the podcast as well. I think at the time of this recording, we haven't published that episode yet, but he has uh, such a nice construct of and, and, and a nice way of thinking about someone's journey for getting to their first 100 users in starting uh, starting a new business and it's nice that they can that he's looking at 100 days of no code as a way for for him to up level his skills. So to the extent that you know the program has been around for a while, there are a ton of people that are just getting started, and this is I would I would say a highly recommended way for people to just get started on their journey. In addition to this, you're also working on a call it a beginner friendly course in in the no code space. Tell us a little more about what's something people can hope to get out of that course. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we've recent, recently uh, released the NoCo Beginners course, so it's now available for people to grab. And, and the whole emphasis is really on accessibility for this beginners course. It's really, I like to see it as, or hope to see it as the most accessible gateway into this space because I've essentially downloaded my insights and challenges that I faced when I was starting to learn to no code and put it all in the course but it's not just like insights from me it's literally insights from hundreds of people that have also tripped up and made a lot of mistakes through their beginner journey on 100 days and, and, and elsewhere and, and i've kind of you know taken all that and, and chucked it into this course and what it's manifested as is a really first principles way of getting into this space so what that actually looks like a a breakdown of the fundamentals you need to know to really accelerate moving forward in your no code learning journey so as we touched on before it really grounds you in stuff like ux design ui design on the front end side of things and then on the back end we look at the fundamentals of apis and workflows and database design all things that are transferable across any tool so we really try and take a tool agnostic approach and give you the fundamentals before you start going and making an airbnb clone in 20 minutes or something like that because for me that although it gives you that instant hit it isn't that useful in a long-term uh, way so this is essentially giving you the, the apparatus or the foundations to power your learning long term so that kind of is a, a quick summary of what it does. And at the end, uh, we give you uh, a no-code learning sprint framework, which is a five-step thing that you can go through to structure your 100 days. So you could do five, six, seven you know, no-code learning sprints, all with five phases to follow along with. So that 
is in the hope of giving people more structure and support throughout their journey as well. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of it. That's great. I mean, the, the thing that caught me was that it's tool agnostic and it really allows you to create a framework that you can apply to any journey, right? Learning any tool. Uh, and specifically with, with 100 days uh, of, of no code, it then probably helps you up level the type of stuff that you can do with 100 days of practice. Uh, I really had a lot of fun in this conversation, Max. Thanks again for taking the time. I know a lot of people already know you in the space, but uh, for those that don't, those that are hearing this and, and want to reach out and maybe get connected, where should they reach you? Of course, yeah. No, likewise, had a really, really good uh, fun, and thanks for all the awesome questions. But uh, you can uh, reach me on Twitter at Haining H A I N I N G and Max, or you can check out our Hundred Days of No Code website at www.100daysofnocode.com. So, either place, um, my DMs are open, and if you've got any questions, just let me know. Awesome, Max. Thanks again for being on. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, that was the show. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed it and got a ton out of it. If you did, there are two things you need to do. Number one, make sure you subscribe to the show to get notified when a new no-code story drops. And number two, I want to ask you a favor. Who's the one person you know who would absolutely benefit from hearing this story? Text them right now and send them to mynocodestory.com and reference this episode. Maybe they're an entrepreneur, maybe they can use this episode to level up at their job, or maybe they're just someone who loves creating new things. Do it. Subscribe and then send them the text. Make a difference. Thanks again, and I'll see you on the next one.